The reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, from verses 26 to 40, and can be found on page 1101 of the Church Bibles. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for leading our worship. It's Always a joy to come together like this and give thanks. We are thinking of uh, this series of four sermons with the word running through that of crown. And um, we've already considered a crown that will last forever. And tonight we're thinking about a crown of joy. Uh, This is, in a way linked into the whole idea of the Olympics, though um, only in, to some degree. Um, the, the, the serious discussion is, did the Apostle Paul go to the Olympics? And did he draw illustrations uh, for um, spiritual application, references to the crown that runs through a lot of his writings? writings and um, his epistles and indeed the whole idea of a crown is an interesting one here's the yes here we are I'm sorry it's Sunday's paper but um, 
uh, here. This is a remarkable event for cyclists. Um, Bradley Wiggins crossed the line in the final trial, the Tour de France, and the heading is Wiggins crowned Tour champion today. So if they want to give the ultimate um, accolade, crowned, and it's a remarkable uh, event in terms of cycling, crowned. Uh, so this idea is going to be running through the, the sermon tonight. I was thinking about this and reminded that in some homes that I used to visit uh, almost as a child and uh, that used to see on the, on the mantelpiece in these very simple um, houses, uh, various, uh, sometimes there'd be a verse or some reference to the Bible, and particularly one that I never forgot seeing as a child, and, and I, it often made me think, what did it mean? And it's this, no cross, no crown. A beautifully, a beautiful tapestry over the mantelpiece. No cross, no crown. And I used to think, was that about Jesus? Uh, his crucifixion? In order to see his ascension? Or is it the Christian life? That uh, unless we uh, take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus, we may not receive the crown of glory, which um, we are promised. So it's an interesting uh, thing really to think like this. Um, so this is a brief series, these four sermons and with the background of the Olympics. The idea of a crown then is, uh, an, uh, conveys this concept of honor or glory or achievement or status or reward. In the New Testament, there are at the, at the very least um, five main references, and these are going to come up before you, and it'll be quite interesting just to um, follow these through with me as they come. I think you'll see them in a moment. Uh, for example, um, the imperishable crown, which we looked at when Nigel preached to us week, uh, last Sunday, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, do you remember, and verse 24. Listen this. Do you not know that in a race, and we think of the Olympics now, all, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Can't all win. One has to break over that line first. And the incentive for us in the Christian race, don't be passive, but run in such a way to get the prize. And then everyone competes according to the rules and so on. Um, and then tonight, the crown of joy. Just turn to... Um, this reference in Philippians 4. Uh, and again, here's an interesting, I want you to sort of think about this, um, the way that Paul puts it. Uh, Philippians 4 and, uh, and verse 1. And he says this, Therefore, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, my fellow companions, you whom I love and long for, and this is how he speaks to them. I wonder, uh, I was thinking about this again. Have you ever referred to somebody as my joy and crown? I've never talked to anybody like that before. Maybe I should do. Or maybe somebody should talk to me like that. That would be nice. But that's how Paul speaks to these um, friends of his, fellow believers. My joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, and there's another interesting reference to this whole idea of the crown. 1 Thessalonians 2. If you don't uh, have it, I'll just read it to you. Uh, and verse 19. 
Here it is again. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? You are our crown. And that's the reference there. You are our glory and joy. It's right that we should look at our fellow believers in these terms. And look again, the third is a crown of righteousness in, in 2 Timothy. Uh, let's just have a quick look at this, just to give you a little flavor of what he's saying here. And then we'll concentrate on, on the reading. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me. No, no but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And here's an interesting one in, in, in uh, the book of James. This is the, the fourth, and we're nearly there. Uh, just to think about this idea of, of the crown, J, uh, James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man, blessed is the believer who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And you see these different nuances of this whole thing about uh, the crown. And finally, uh, in, in 1 Peter 5, and this is quite interesting again, uh, these few verses. The elders among you, I appeal as, uh, appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and so on. And then he says uh, in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, that would be interesting just for you if you were to do a little study there. Those five references, and they all have uh, an interesting perspective on our Christian life together. The crown. What I want us to do and I will be more brief tonight, I promise you, uh, is uh, to look at the reading that we have then, uh, in which Alexandra read to us in Acts 8, 26 to 40. And where, if, if Paul, okay, you say, yeah, he was an apostle, he was exceptional, indeed he was. And yet he says, you are my joy, my crown. Now wh what is he saying there? Is it because he was the, the means by which they came to faith? Or is he the one who has come to know and to love them and to see them grow in their Christian lives? Well, if that is so, can we say of our fellow believers, as we know each other, you are my crown and joy. And if that is the case, how is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? So I would just think about the crown of joy and for the rest of the sermon to make our way along this path of joy as we follow Philip. I know he's called Philip the Evangelist. Um, but consider these, what I'm suggesting, seven brief stepping stones for sharing our faith so that it might be that we would be able to say of members of our family, you are my joy. You are my crown. Look what Jesus is doing in your life. 
stepping stones for sharing our faith so that we could say similar things that the Apostle Paul is saying. So, um, let's follow through the first. Obedience. It's not uh, the buzzword. Indeed, increasingly when couples uh, look at their vows for getting married, most people want to drop this term to love, honor, and obey. They see it as a, as, a, as a domineering theme. And not only within the church, but outside within society. Uh, obedience hasn't got good press. It gives the impression that we are being rather dictatorial and opinionated. Well, let's come to um, Acts 8 and just follow these footsteps very quickly. Uh, verse 27, for example. Look at this. The angel of the, verse 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. Now, if you looked at the context here, there's an enormous blessing. And yet, the Lord prompts Philip to go to one person. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, think of uh, Lighthouse this week, 909 children, isn't that wonderful? And what if the Lord was to call somebody away from that to go and speak to one person who is seeking wouldn't that be something? And they come to a living faith. When Hannah and I went to Ethiopia on a Wycliffe conference, it's interesting, the Orthodox Church is very strong in Ethiopia. No, I couldn't help but think about whether this, um, this official, when he went back, took his faith back with him and learned the lesson of Philip. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Anyway, uh, verse 27. So he started out on his way and met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem for worship. Now, okay, we don't spend too long on this, but just to give the context, he, I think it would be right to assume that if he was at Pentecost, if he didn't actually hear Peter preach, he would have heard about it. It was a remarkable thing. 2,000 people brought into God's kingdom, mass baptism, a confession, the church growing. Of course he would have heard about it. But it didn't really have any spiritual impact upon him other than to make him think, what's all this about? So he's going home. And as he's going home, there is now an encounter with, um, with Philip and this man. But crucial is Philip's obedience. Some of you will remember uh, Sheila Hopmer. She is now Sheila, Sheila Davis, as she was. And I think Ken once asked her when she was a student, how is God blessing you? I'll never forget her reply. She said, as much as I obey him. Uh, that's, a good, that's a very good answer. As much as I obey him. How is God blessing you? Well, what's our obedience like? The road to obedience can give much blessing. Look at the second, availability. That's an interesting thing in church life. Some people are able, some people are very able, but not willing. And I've often found in church life there are people who are willing, but definitely less able. And God uses them. But here is Philip, who is just available. And his availability is seen here. 
Now this is very subjective. Look at verse 29, for instance, and ask yourself, how would I know, me personally now, if the Spirit told me? Do you think the Spirit does that today? And if he does, how does it work? Well, I'm sure it's different for different people. How can we be receptive to the prompting of God's Spirit? The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So he does. It's not terribly complicated, is it? And there he is. And look at the third step along the way. There's, there's a very natural approach. Uh, Philip, verse 30, ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Well, that would be easy, wasn't it? When did you last hear somebody reading the Bible? Okay. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. That's rather impertinent, isn't it? Does that imply that he doesn't? Yes. Does he go in the huff? No. His reply is interesting, isn't it? How can I? How can I? I know a lot about finance. And I know a lot about the civil service. And I know a lot about culture. But I don't know anything about a saviour. And I'm confused. And this delightful sensitivity here. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Now, you don't need to be clever. You just need to be clear. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's have a cup of tea, or the equivalent in, in those days. Lovely sensitivity. And let's stay on this path, the, 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 the fifth Stepping stone, and this is a bit tricky, I think, um, verses 32 to 34, you have to start where people are. Now, I'm sure if, if I've certainly made a couple of mistakes like this. The first, I've tried to start where I think people ought to be. I mean, you might say to somebody, I remember people saying to me long before I became a Christian, you should know, look at look at." Uh, family you brought up. You go to church every Sunday. People made assumptions about me that were vastly wrong. So it's not where we think people ought to be or where we would want them to be. We have to start where people are. And it might be a bit of a shock to us sometimes. So, verse 32, the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. This, as some of you know, will, is Isaiah 53. And he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who is this? Now, if you were in that situation, what would you do? Would you talk about Isaiah? If you were doing theological studies you would say did you know they say there were three Isaiahs or you could say well you know the prophets are interesting you, what what Philip does is such a lovely thing he and this is our sixth step he, he focuses on Jesus it's about him isn't it He could easily have been led down the garden path there. 
Or you might have said, you know, I've read Isaiah and I, I'm really not quite sure what he's talking about. Philip began with that very passage, verse 35, and told him the good news about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And the last thing here is, and it's particular, I think, to the lighthouse, is the whole challenge for follow-up. Wonderful that there are 909 children. How many of them, I know this is not a criticism, it's an implied challenge, really. How many are ever going to find their way into a church or an Alpha group, or Christianity Explored, or a prayer group, or, or a Christian union, or church. Now, that doesn't mean that the mission is wrong. It does mean that it's a challenge to have good follow-up. And, uh, and this isn't a, a plug for Baptists either. But now he needs to externalize his talking to a couple this morning who are getting ready to be baptized and um, just to put to them again that this is a way of publicly confessing, of externalizing what God is doing in our lives. Clearly it's not the only way. So in verse 36, as they traveled along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look here is water why shouldn't I be baptized why did he ask that question Philip doesn't raise the issue of baptism as far as we can tell but on the day of Pentecost he would have seen what was taking place and he would say you know I want to do this I want to express my faith in this very public way and his entourage would be with him so that they would see what he, what he was doing and go back and tell people about this public expression of faith. So they traveled along. They came to some water. The eunuch said, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing, going back home to work and to spread the good news about the Lord Jesus. And in a way, the eunuch was Philip's joy and crown. There are Sunday school teachers who see, or youth leaders, parents, who can see what God is doing in the lives of their children and family, and they could say with a deep sense of humility, you are a joy and crown. Spirituality is not genetic, is it? You can, be, you can be nurtured in a Christian home, you can be encouraged and prayed for, but at a certain time, people need to come to faith themselves. The purpose of the sermon isn't in any way to make us feel uh, guilty. That would be to miss the point. It certainly is intended to make us feel um, grateful that a word in season at the right time 
can have a powerful influence in someone's life. Uh, Kim is sitting right at the back there. And when he had a Muslim colleague, Sarah Malik, who stayed in our house for three years and spoke to the men and women's breakfast, it was only when her parents died that he was able to say, um, I've been praying for you. And she says, you, you're a Christian, not simply you're born in the West. And so a fruitful discussion happens. So not simply about, among people who have an understanding of the Bible or reading Isaiah, but those who might be reading the Quran or anything. And somehow the Lord can bring us together, somebody who is seeking and somebody who is speaking, and there's a connection. You don't have to carry a banner. Um, my father used to know a man who used to go through Swansea for years and years carrying a banner, big banner. And he, was just, he never spoke. He just looked and smiled at people. And the banner read, I'm a fool for Christ. Well, that's not the best thing to put up. And most people were a bit self-conscious, so they ignored him. But when he passed them, they all turned around, and there was another sign, the other side of the banner, which his was a statement, I'm a fool for Christ. The other, there was a question, and whose fool are you? And I think he had, uh, you know, he had one up on people who were, now, okay, maybe you wouldn't do that. Maybe you think that's crazy. Okay, but what would you do? What do you do? Uh, wherever you are in any given time, that this whole idea of the joy and crown of sharing. Prayer is the most effective means of evangelism. So it might only be that you're going to say, I am really going to pray that God will give me opportunities. And you may have to wait a while for that. So it isn't just going one to one. Prayer is often the most effective means of evangelism. Or think about lifestyle. None of us are perfect. We know that. But think of these immortal words of the Lord Jesus. A new command I give you. Love one another. You say, what has that got to do with evangelism? Answer, everything. Love one another as I have loved you. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have this quality of love. Because it's what everybody needs. Lifestyle. Let me finish with this simple illustration and it's this. You could lay a bridge of love from those words of the Lord Jesus into somebody's life and Jesus could walk over that and have an encounter and maybe you won't even know this side of eternity that actually they are your joy and crown and don't give up on family or friend or colleague and sometimes the most difficult are the ones who ultimately can be the most receptive our joy and crown I hope that by God's grace we can take this on board apply it to our relationships and pray that God will make us fruitful and effective beyond our ability.
that we might be even surprised by joy. And people are the crown of God's grace and glory. We are going to sing our final hymn. And uh, it's the the last um, verse, which uh, is has been changed slightly. It doesn't have the same um, assertiveness. You know, cast our crowns uh, before the Lord. Here it says we lay our crowns. So whatever crown we have in life, we will lay it before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Of course, there's been no mention of the crown of thorns, the cross, the glory. And in a way, you can't separate those, can you? The thorns of life, the hardship, the hard road that we go. It isn't in any way excluding the joy and the blessing.